Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, alright. Okay, alright. Okay, alright. If, if this episode is feeling um, especially cozy, it's... it's because we're under a sheet. <laughs> yeah, we're um, having... This is like a sleepover style episode. <laughs> If you are subscribed to the Patreon and listen to the Patreon episode first, then you would know that um, this week we are uh, confined to the limitations of our technology without Elisa's equipment. And so to try to buffer the acoustics that um, these mics pick up on, we are now recording under a sheet for the under for the foreseeable future <laughs> whenever it is we record without Elisa. Um, and it's actually kind of a vibe. Uh, yeah. Mistakes. Ow. <laughs> so just... Remember, like every time you are like picturing us in your mind's eye, remember to picture us under a pink sheet, um, a la like one of those movies where people are looking at each other from beneath the sheets and falling in love. Yes. Because that's what we're doing. That's what what this podcast is all about. about. It's all about us falling in love. Speaking of, we answered another question from the New York Times, Times. questions that lead to love. love. On the Patreon episode this week. Yes. Um, I think we're getting there, you guys. We are getting there. I think we're falling in love. Um, yeah. But anyway, more importantly, what we talk about on the Patreon episode this week, we talk about the salacious details of our trip to Atlanta Pride. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're if you want the Pretty much uncensored. Yeah, very uncensored. <laughs> like beat for beat recap of our <laughs> Atlanta Pride weekend. Spoiler alert, we both absolutely got our dicks wet in some way or another. Um, famously, neither of us have dicks, but they did get soaking wet. They did. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to hear about that, head on over to the Patreon. You guys were so close to having 40 patrons. Um, and I don't know what we'll do when we get to like, we'll do something fun when we get to 50. Yeah. And then something even more fun when we get to, dare I say a hundred? <laughs> but you know, if you need to be sold on it, which I don't know why you still would need that, but it is truly $4 a month, which count them. That's $1 per right. bonus episode. We name names. We talk about the really explicit details of our sex lives (laughs) (laughs) we talk open shit um we also just like have a good time and it's fun and it's cute um so anyway get over there um we also we're in the process of pumping out some merch for our besties Mm -hmm. and we have discussed the possibility of our patrons getting exclusive merch patreon exclusive merch everyone don't worry everyone will have access to merch of some kind but um 
the patrons are really, truly like top tier besties yes, right now, truly really um, supporting, uh, supporting us <laughs> mm-hmm. in some way or another. Um, and yeah, we appreciate it. Should we shout out some patrons? Let's Ethan? do it. Okay. Um, we forgot to do that last episode, but we I'm going to do another five patrons. So next up that we would like to thank is um, Rice Niece. Hello, Rice Niece. Um, thank you so much thank for you. your support. Uh, we would also love to thank Aaron Elizabeth. Hello, Aaron. We love you so much. And um, we cannot thank you enough for sending us U.S. currency in exchange for um, our personalities. Yes. <laughs> um, we would also love to sh- shout out Sophie. Hi, love Sophie. you so much, Sophie. Thank you for your support. And um, let's see. Oh, and <laughs> uh, Bridgie B. We would love to thank you and shout you out. Hello. I'm obsessed with um, their message saying, I'm a Leo after all, and I would love it. Because <laughs> I, I was asking everyone if they wanted to be shouted out. And I'm like, I love that you included that your Leo ass would be a fan. We're a fan of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and finally, for this round of shout outs, Annie, thank you so much, Annie. Um, you're a real one. And Annie even said it's the easiest um, four pounds and 20, what is it, pence yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that they've ever spent. Oh, thanks, Annie. So that's a real, that's a real vouch. That is a real vouch. Anyway... You can literally get like a burger and chips for that amount of money in London. So thanks. Uh, Oh my God. Chips. (laughs) Yeah. I lived there once. (laughs) I call them chips. (laughs) I love my travel abroad bestie. She literally can't stop Stop talking talking about about it. (laughs) It was six years ago and that's fine. I'll never stop talking about it as though it was last week. Well, speaking of traveling, we did just get back from Atlanta. We did. Uh, Atlanta Pride was one for the books. What book? The eventual memoir we're going to write. Yeah, about our hot, queer, nonstop traveling lives that we... Life in the fast lane. Yeah. We're truly addicted to living life to the fullest, and I can't recommend it enough. Our bank accounts, not as (laughs) happy about it, but we (laughs) are vibing. And that's another reason you should subscribe to the Patreon. Um, Just really bankroll our lifestyle. We yeah. would appreciate it. Um, also because of all the work we put into this podcast, yada, 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 yada. Et but cetera, don't you want to be our sugar besties? Please be our sugar besties. <laughs> um, yeah, Atlanta Pride was amazing. I had no idea Atlanta went so, so hard. hard. Literally legendary afters. Yeah, the most legendary party scene I've personally ever been I, to. But I've never been to Berlin, so yeah. maybe... Maybe that's its rival. And like we're saying that as New Yorkers. Yeah, we live in New York City and we were like, um, I don't know if I can keep up Up. with Atlanta. Atlanta. Like, oh my God. They (laughs) fucking go so hard. I have never gone to two afters two nights in a row at the same location. Okay, also that the after party wasn't like, like a New York afters is like. Like a cuddle puddle with some, someone is spinning in the corner. Yeah, and like people are like. 
chatting in like different little um coked out circles yeah, this was a party this was a like out of a movie like uns, uns, we went, uns. We we, went you could hear the party from like down the block, the block while walking there we went straight from the club <laughs> to this like literally the club to the club <laughs> <laughs> and stayed until 8 a.m yeah and then did it again the, the next, next night, night at the same person's house, house. That is fully just set up for these afters and only charged five bucks the first night. Oh, my God. I was obsessed. I was like invited to an after party and then they were charging at the door. I was like, there's a cover for I was the after party. I was so annoyed at first. I was like, ew. And then I walked in and immediately was like, oh, oh. they literally they were like selling drinks. They had tan- fucking tangerines <laughs> like just in like so much, so much space. Yeah. I mean, I just love the way um, queer people absolutely, like, carve out community for themselves regardless of, like, what is encouraged or fostered around them. Like, in the middle of fucking Georgia, Mm -hmm. obviously Atlanta is, like, different from the rest of Georgia, but it is in fucking Georgia that this, like, group of queer people have, like, really outdone themselves in creating a, like, culture in and of itself um for themselves in like what is stereotypically an environment not welcoming to them i'm not accusing atlanta as a city of that but you know like you you think of like the south and georgia as like not the place where queers would thrive but here we are but you know that was the case that's the case in like north carolina and tennessee too like um it's just really really incredible uh, watching that like capital R resistance in our community. Yeah. I love it. And just like partying is a form of true radical self-care. Mm-hmm. I cannot say it enough. Dancing your ass off, like sweating your worries away among people who like see you and cherish you and like mm-hmm. don't misgender you or mm-hmm. don't like assume certain things to be true about you and just like are there for you. Mm-hmm. And like living for you and you're living for them. That is radical. That It is activism even. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's why we party so hard. Anyone who has any issues with it. <laughs> Just kidding. The vast majority <clears throat> of you are here for it. Um, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad we went back to worship on the dance floor. Same. And um, if you want to hear about our like hot ass hot and heavy hookups mm-hmm. go to the patreon but do know do know that we both hooked up and we um we set our intentions to get our pussies <laughs> <laughs> nika needed her pussy dilated by someone else's fingers that <laughs> happened for her <laughs> i um yeah got my pussy ate while like gay men were literally crawling over me going oh yes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Got my pussy ate by one of my non-binary crushes while another one of my non-binary crushes like waved their witchy hands over my <laughs> face encouraging me to come. I was like, I am well, another non-binary crush was like dancing with fire nearby. Yes. Anyway, if you want the details of all of that, <laughs> go to the Patreon. Go to the Patreon. But you did just get some um you just got honestly quite a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, the food was really good in Atlanta. 
We went, we didn't say this on the Patreon. There was one night after one of the afters where it was like 8 a.m. and oh, we were so, yeah, hungry. so hungry. And it was in a neighborhood that everyone was like, don't walk, like after you leave this party, do not walk around in this neighborhood. Like get an Uber. It's so dangerous in this neighborhood. And they were specifically referencing like one street in particular on that in that neighborhood. And I looked up breakfast nearby because we were hungry and it was um, like daylight at this point. I was like, I feel like we can walk in this direction mm-hmm. in this neighborhood. And then we just like walked maybe like 10 minutes to this restaurant where there was an armed security, security guard, guard outside a of and a gun with a knife and a gun outside of a just a brunch spot. Like a bougie brunch spot. Too. Yeah. A bougie, bougie, like $14 bougie. $14 French toast. Yeah. And um, we were like, okay, this brunch... <laughs> This brunch restaurant has a bouncer with, once again, I will say it again, a A gun. gun and a knife. And um, we were like looking strewn so like strewn. our makeup was like dripping down our faces we were in full-blown like night, night club, club looks <laughs> at 8 a.m one of our friends was not wearing a shirt and the bouncer was like you're gonna need to put a shirt on so our other friend literally took the shirt off of his back to give it to them and because he had another shirt underneath that was fully see-through, see-through. but it still counted as a shirt, shirt so that we got inside and everyone else that is there are people who like woke up at 6 a.m to get breakfast together. Yeah. And we walk in looking all kinds of I mean, it was a it was a stride of pride, okay? Was, Not a walk yeah. of shame. But the number of um like employees and managers that like so came to our employees. table at one point just to check in and make sure everything was okay. And we're like, Yep, we're good. <laughs> Don't worry, we're still gonna like pay. Just because yeah. we look like this doesn't mean we're not going to. But um it was absolutely iconic and some of the best French toast I've ever had. I was like, yeah. that's why they're guarding this with a gun. <laughs> My God. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, absolute iconic city. Legendary. Our friends that live there have such a gorgeous little life for themselves. And I, you know, if I didn't already live in New York City, I'd be tempted. But unfortunately, unfortunately, I already live in the best city in, in the, the world. world. Yeah, uh, sorry. So I can't try out any other cities for the foreseeable future. Um, the sunlight is absolutely streaming in through this sheet right now. And I feel like we are in a movie about just two besties recording a podcast and falling in love. Um, oh, my God. We need to recalibrate, actually, because it is slipping off of me. Yeah. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, besties. We're rearranging the sheet that we are under. Okay. Great. Back to the sleepover. Um, anything else you want to say before diving in? No, let's do it. Let's dive in. Mistakes, keepsakes, and hot takes. I'll start with my keepsake. Okay. okay. My keepsake. Um, so if you want to... Okay. Famously, my crush listens to the podcast. So I'm going to keep it... I don't want to give them too much satisfaction going on and on about specifically my crush on them. Mm-hmm. So you know what? If you want to hear about my crush and listen to the Patreon, even if you are my crush, um, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to pay money to hear about uh, me liking you. But m- more what this crush has um, awakened inside of me is my keepsake. I realized how truly like non-binary for non-binary slash like t for t i am Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, for the first time in a long time, was like canoodling with another non-binary person this weekend. And it like occurred to me that it was my first time hooking up with someone or like in in some kind of item with someone where I didn't feel like I was being put into some kind of role Mm -hmm. gender wise. Like I feel like often when I'm hooking up with another woman, I'm kind of put into the role of like the more like mask one, the one that like is the the protector or whatever, the one that like she's going to put her head on like my shoulder when we're cuddling, which I'm fine with, Mm -hmm. but I don't, it's not like, I don't like the assumption that we are even playing certain roles. Mm -hmm. Um, And then often, obviously when I'm like hooking up with or in an item with a guy, I feel like I'm made out to be the like dainty little feminine like woman. Mm -hmm. And I also don't feel like that's who I am either. I'm famously non-binary, you know, but I feel like cis people, no matter how understanding or open minded they are, have a tendency to like put the people around them into binary roles, whether they realize it or not. Yeah. And I just felt so like free of that this weekend in a way that like not even like you know queer cis people make me feel this way yeah um and i've like felt this like i've i was talking to my therapist about this today because i just had therapy and i was like you know kind of regardless of this specific crush and like my specific time with them I really realized this weekend that I think the reason that I've been like single for like four years now is because I haven't wanted to deal with the like roles that were expected to take on in a like gendered way. And rather than like interrogating that any further, I was just like so tired of it that I just decided to like put all of it on the back burner Mm -hmm. and not even think about why it was that I wasn't like pursuing people or interested in people. And it like really unlocked for me this weekend, like, oh, like literally no shade to people who are not non-binary. I'm like, there's obviously exceptions to this. There are, I've, I have in the past dated a cis person that didn't make me feel this way. It's just more that like if I'm just going out into a bar and want to hook up with someone, more likely than not, that person is going to like kind of put me in a box Mm -hmm. based on what gender slash where on the spectrum of masculinity and femininity they like want me to fall on because of what they're like attracted to and interested in and they like want to like put me there. Mm Because they happen to be attracted to and interested in me and they like they don't really do the work to realize that part of what they're attracted to about me is that I don't belong in those boxes. Anyway, it's just it's it's a keepsake in the making. Like I'm still kind of mulling it over, but it's it's I just had like a moment, an epiphany. And that is my keepsake that I'm like, oh, it's not that I like need to be chronically single or distant from people i just need to like be into people that see me yeah duh um so that's my keepsake and you know partially due to a person in particular but 
It was my epiphany, okay? <laughs> <laughs> if you put it behind the chair all the way, it probably won't fall as much. It's not that it's it's this right here. It's like straight up not even. Yeah, it just needs to be. Here, let me just yeah. move closer to you. Okay. We really had it figured out for the Patreon episode. We did, but it's okay. We haven't figured it out again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's better. I, I, was, I, was I it. it was all a trick. I wanted Nika to move closer to me. <laughs> um, my mistake this week. I mean, honestly, it was such a perfect week. Yeah. I know I made mistakes, though. I mean, I definitely let my OnlyFans slide to the back burner and have not been, like, as active on there. And, like, I've just not been making as much money as I should be considering how much money I just spent. Yeah. So I guess that's my mistake is I was... Um, I forgot capitalism existed briefly. <laughs> my uh-huh. mistake, I was existing in joy for a second. <laughs> and um, that was a huge... Mistake, because now I owe my dad money, and um, <laughs> sorry, dad, I'm probably not going to pay that back for a couple of weeks, but I'm your daughter, so you're going to have to absolutely mm-hmm. forgive me for that. Um, so that's my mistake. My hot take. Okay, my hot take is let Megan Fox be horny. Yeah. What the fuck is going on? Twitter is losing their goddamn minds about Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox's relationship. And everyone's like, it's not that we don't want Megan Fox to be horny. It's who she's horny for. Like, I'm sorry. If we had a choice in who we were horny for, the vast majority of male celebrities would not have a career. Yeah. Like, we can't help it. Also, like, famously a queer woman. And I know that, like, he's a guy I, you know, I don't really know his mm-hmm. specific identity. And so, like, technically a heterosexual relationship, I guess. But, like, she's a queer person. He definitely reads as a little bit, like, genderqueer. I'm not going to put that on him. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, he he toes the line of, like, the, the gender spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a little bit, like, even if you find him as a person annoying, can we not, like, police this queer woman's sexuality and who she's attracted to and like who makes her feel seen and like held and secure also especially after a decade plus of her being so hypersexualized for everyone else's consumption but now that she is feeling sexual and hot and horny for someone and it's someone who actually makes her feel hot and horny for the reasons that she feels hot and horny and not for like the way that Hollywood has sexualized her now everyone has a problem with it. I'm yep. I'm done. That's my hot take. Let Megan Fox be horny. She has done nothing but wonders for the horny community. Mm-hmm. And I love her being just like an openly sexual, like don't give a fuck person after so long of being like a prisoner to Hollywood's like vision for what a like sex, a sex icon should be, you yeah. know? I just love her and, you know, Machine Gun Kelly is annoying. That's fine. I'm horny for annoying people all the time. (laughs) Like, she's kind of annoying too. But, like, let's just let them be. And honestly, I mean, he's hot. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) So that's my hot take. Your turn. Okay. um, My mistake is that I didn't stay with Anya and... Oh, my God. You're so right. That is Um, the mistake. I... Decided to stay with um, one of our other besties who lives in Atlanta. Um, half because I'm very, very broke right now. And so I didn't want to spend money on an Airbnb when I had like a free place to stay. And then the other half was that 
I wanted, you know, me and this bestie have just gotten, have just kind of like recalibrated our like closeness in like a new way um, at Honcho uh, like a month or so ago. And so I just wanted to spend time with her and like hold space for her and be with her, et cetera. Like we're both kind of going through it. Um, and so I was like, that will be cute. And it was, but also it was just weird because I was like leaving, uh, I was like going to events and then leaving events without being with like Anya and our other besties that I would normally always stay with on a trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just realized that like, I don't ever want to do that again. Yeah. You, did you feel out of the unit a little bit? I felt totally out of the unit. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh... I was like, this is weird. I don't like this. I was like, wait, what? No. Um, but I mean, it was fine because we had so much fun together when we weren't or when we were together, but it was definitely weird not like leaving the parties. I also, I felt like more clingy with you than I normally would. Like if we were staying in the same place and like, you know, doing the whole thing together, I feel like I wouldn't have felt as like desperate to like find you and make sure you're like around. So that like made it kind of fun. It was cute. (laughs) Yeah. Juicy was like, I would just want one of you to have a boom box (laughs) holding it up to the other. Because of, like, how often we were just, like, looking for each other and, like, pointing at each other and being like, are you okay? And, like, <laughs> checking in. Uh, it's like, yeah, this is, um you know, this is my primary partner. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that. We're yeah. never staying in separate places again. Yeah, no. Um, my keepsake. My keepsake was definitely, um, I mean, like, also related to being non-binary was just that, like, I... Obviously, I'm, like, so totally a woman, right? Like, I'm, you know, I present to the world as being a binary trans woman. um, And that is, in many ways, for survival. Um, But I have always been, like, a non-binary faggot as well. And I've (laughs) often had to, like, figure out how to toe that line and, like, how to hold space for those two very, like, different but, like, equally powerful parts of who I am and, like, of my person. Mm -hmm. And... I just, I, like, this weekend being, like, touched and, like, kissed and, like, you know, groped and held by, like, the people that I was touched, groped, and held by, it, like, very much felt as though I was being seen as, like, the non-binary just being that I am and that it didn't come down to me being, like, that hot girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and that felt, like, really cool and powerful and fun and... Yeah, I just like every time that I spend an extended amount of time with this specific friend group, I leave feeling that way Mm -hmm. where I'm like, oh, yes, I am that like hot non-binary person. Um, And that was great. Um, And yeah, I guess like to tack on to the keepsake without revealing too much of what I said in the Patreon. (laughs) Um, Just like absolutely being the I wouldn't even say arm candy because that sounds like of being like I don't, that's almost like not even as powerful as it was just like being an item with my best friend who I famously have had feelings for since we became friends and I've always been like this person is my soulmate and also my best friend and also someone that I want to fuck mm-hmm. um just like reaching a new point in our relationship this weekend together was extremely hot and fun and cool and affirming um and that is definitely Yeah, that's another part of my keepsake. Um, And my hot take is that I finally figured out, like, what dancing is supposed to be like. (laughs) And I think a lot of this does does have to do with my experience as, like, a flirty, hot girl. You know, presenting to the world as, like, flirty, hot 
binary trans girl is that like dancing for me since I transitioned has always been like how I get like guys on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. And so often it's like extremely performative. And I love that, but I never, ever, ever have lost myself in the music just dancing mm -hmm. until this weekend. Um, and like the acid surely helped. Um, but just, yeah, just like, I would say that my hot take is that uh, losing yourself in the music and just absolutely like dancing for yourself is way better than dancing in a way that is like precisely sexual mm -hmm. um it's so freeing and i like i've always loved dancing and being going to dance parties but now i like fully understand the culture of why people go to these like oons, oons, oons dance oh yeah parties. it's like meditative yeah like really just like feeling it in your bones mm -hmm. and like just like letting your body take you away and it's honestly a way sexier way to dance yeah than when you like are doing it because you know there's an audience yeah yeah. yeah, just having, like, my eyes closed, like, on stage at the Carrie Nation party or, like, dancing all night at um, church and, like, really just, like, feeling the way that, like, being, like, really in touch with how, like, my body was feeling, like, how my hips were feeling when I would move them in certain ways or, like, the tension that I was holding in certain parts of my body that I don't usually pay attention to and, like, closing my eyes for, like, five to ten minutes at a time and just losing myself and then opening them back up and being like oh I don't give a fuck if anyone's watching me because this is for me and then that led to I think people wanting to like make out with me and like dance with me in a oh, way yeah, that normally definitely. doesn't happen um so yeah it was extremely extremely freeing it kind of adds to my philosophy of like people who are here to give something versus people who are here to take something mm -hmm. And like any given interaction, any given scenario, you can like immediately identify the people that are there because they need something from other people versus the people who are there, not necessarily because they are trying to give something to other people, but they are just like so like comfortable in themselves that yeah. it inherently gives something to other people. I feel like that also applies to the dance floor. Yeah. There are people that are there for like validation and for like specifically sexual validation and for like attention and that's nothing wrong with that but I feel like you're not going to get it as easily as when you're someone who is just there because like you're there for you yeah and you're like there to like let go and let loose and like that inherently mm -hmm. I think will bring sexual validation and yeah. attention but also you're totally fine if it doesn't which yeah. is even hotter so hot yeah and I like I made fun of you know, our bestie because I was being a cunt and like there was tension between us. So I'm sure that is why I made fun of him. But he, you know, he said something to me recently about how he has realized that his idea of spirituality is like being on a dance floor. Mm. And I was like, no, you're just on drugs, bitch. But like, I, I'm like, oh, you're fully right. Yeah, I like, don't I don't need to. I'm, I can be sober, sober. on those dance floors yeah. and like feel just as high. From yeah, it, to be I honest. had truly like a very spiritual experience on the dance floor, specifically at church that then like led to me like looking over at you and having our like Francis Ha movie moment where I was like, oh, like just saw my whole the last like three years of my life flash before my eyes in that moment and felt like so calm and excited by the feeling that washed over me. And it was so linked to being on that dance floor. Mm -hmm. It was powerful and amazing and yeah the dance floor is is, is our church is our church <laughs> yeah sorry sorry for anyone who that makes um want to gag but <laughs> honestly interrogate that feeling sorry. 
interrogate that feeling because it. Um, it could be that you too need to go to church have you heard the holy oh word Vicky Powell oh my god I yeah. love us same what do we think the fuck up of the week was I think it's the whole fucking Dave Chappelle bullshit. Yeah, for sure. And Netflix uh, suspending three trans employees for speaking out against Dave Chappelle on Twitter. Yep, they've been indefinitely suspended. Three different trans women. Are you fucking serious? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've been reading about it on Twitter. That's what. That's basically all I read while I was Oh my god, I did not see that yeah, part. Let me see if I can pull it up. I'm... Hold on. All right. Here's the deal, everyone. I understand that there are layers of like intersections of privilege at play here. And I understand. I do. I do understand the like um, instinct to be peeved at a white trans person criticizing Dave Chappelle as a black man. However, he's also a cis person. And to, like, not acknowledge that dynamic at play, too, that, like, prioritizing his comfort over trans people's comfort is not any better. And I'm, like, very annoyed at how the discourse keeps, like, circling the drain of that, like, all that is really at play here is, like, white people censoring a black person. And listen, once again, I I do understand that that dynamic is, like, challenging and we should talk about it. It's not, like, by just being trans that, like, trumps your whiteness. No, totally. But, like, trans people have every right to criticize a person who has been violently transphobic regardless yeah. of the racial dynamics it's also just like an extremely transmisogynistic card that's constantly weaponized against us as trans women that like you know if we call out someone who's transphobic who is you know has a different level of marginalization than we have then we're immediately accused of being racist or problematic and it's just not what is going on right now with dave Chappelle. Yeah. and it also ignores all of the fucking black trans women that are put at risk by people like Dave Chappelle and the rhetoric that he peddles. And also the black trans women who have been very vocal on social media uh, about how upset they are by what he has said. But the article, what happened, it says um, an article from Fox News, Fox, Fox, Fox News, but it was the first one that came up, <laughs> um, says Netflix suspends trans employee, employee at the time, but it's now been three employees who criticized Chappelle special. Um, And it says Netflix suspended three employees, including a transgender staffer who spoke out against comedian Dave Chappelle's recent Netflix special for reportedly crashing a business meeting they were not permitted to attend. Netflix suspended the three employees and has launched an investigation into them for allegedly attending a quarterly business review meeting that invited only directors and vice presidents, the L.A. Times reported. Senior software engineer Tara Field, who is transgender, is among the three who were suspended. She has also spoken out about Chappelle's The Closer special, which addressed the trans community after the comedian faced years of backlash and claims that he is transphobic. Um, She went on to tweet, I work at Netflix. Yesterday, we launched another Chappelle special where he attacks the trans community and the very validity of transness, all while trying to pit us against other marginalized groups. You're going to hear a lot of talk about offense. We are not offended, Field said in one tweet of the special last week, which is pinned on her Twitter account. What we object to is the harm that content like this does to the trans community, especially trans people of color and very specifically black trans women, she added. Mm-hmm. A spokesperson for Netflix said, said Field's condemna- condemnation of the comedy special did not lead to the, 
to the suspension. It is absolutely untrue to say that we have suspended any employees for tweeting about this show, the spokesperson told the LA Times. Our employees are encouraged to disagree openly, and we support their right to do so. Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos and others who were invited to the quarterly meeting reportedly discussed how to handle employee concerns over the special. He also defended streaming the show in a company memo obtained by Variety. Um, going on to say, Chappelle is one of the most popular stand-up comedians today, and we have a long-standing deal with him. His last special, Sticks and Stones, also controversial, is our most watched, stickiest, and most award-winning stand-up special to date, the statement read. As with our other talent, we work hard to support their creative freedom, even though this means there will always be content on Netflix some people believe is harmful. To which I say, go fuck yourself. <laughs> because if the tables were turned and this were a special where like an openly racist comedian were on like a Netflix special and yeah. had this amount of backlash, it would have been pulled by Netflix in 24 100%, hours. 100%. And Netflix would have issued some bullshit statement about how they don't condone racism uh, on Netflix. So it's just, it's, you know, trans women are, trans women and trans people, but especially trans women, because we're at the bottom of the totem pole in the community, are constantly like thrown to the wayside for like fucking discourse and, you know, just money, money, discourse, talent, etc. And if you can't see that like glaring disparity, then I simply do not know what to tell you. Yeah, it's also so annoying because like, yes, some of the trans women who have spoken out against Dave Chappelle are white trans women. And once again, I am not diminishing the like that they obviously have white privilege and like the, the dynamic between a like white person criticizing a black person. I like fully understand how that can like rub people the wrong way. I don't think that it immediately makes it not a valid criticism, but I understand it like prickling you know, it, it it raises an eyebrow and that I get, but it's not like it's only white trans women that Dave Chappelle is harming. In fact, like what like that article said, like the people that are the most harmed by transphobic rhetoric are trans people of color, specifically trans women of color, specifically black, black trans, trans women. women who are at the top of the tone pole for being fucking murdered. So it just sort of feels disingenuous to me to like make it out to be that like what you're doing is like you know, pro-black when you take Dave Chappelle's side on this. Yeah. It just, like, it just doesn't sit right for me, but, you know, I'm a white person. Listen, the biggest... And I, granted, am, like, not a trans woman. Like, I am neither identity in this situation, but that is my perspective. It's like, literally, just go read Redefining Realness. Janet Mock fucking called out Dave Chappelle in 2014 when she wrote her book and has a very long chapter about Dave Chappelle and how he has fucked over trans women and sex workers for years with his comedy. And I'm just like so tired of people constantly acting like it's these like, you know, like annoying white leftist trans women that are like coming for a successful black man. It's like that is just not what's going on. And it's just like it's so much more nuanced than that. And it's like so obvious that that's not what's going on. It's like, it's just, it's insane. It's like, maybe when Netflix has like, I don't know, a comedy special from a trans woman on, on their platform, then like we can start having that conversation about whether or not like these disparities are at play. But like, name one fucking actual famous trans comedian. I will wait. Like, crickets. So it's like, it's just not the same. Yeah. And it's so frustrating. And it makes, it makes trans women not want to speak up. I kept my mouth shut for the Dave Chappelle shit other than to be like, why are we talking about him? He sucks. Also, 
violently hates sex workers. Yeah. Has had nothing but like really harmful things to say about sex workers. I understand Dave Chappelle's importance in comedy. Like if there's any comedy fans here that are like Dave Chappelle fans, listen, we all have problematic faves. I'm not telling you to like hate Dave Chappelle and his entire body of work. Like a lot of us still listen to Michael Jackson while also believing that he molested children. Well, a lot of us don't believe that, but you should. (laughs) But like, I'm not saying like, I at least I'm not saying other people have every right to say this, but I'm not saying like, fuck Dave Chappelle permanently hate like everything he ever offered to comedy. I know that he's like hugely important in terms of like the accomplishments he's made as a black comedian, but also just as a comedian period. And he's had some really fucking hilarious on the right side of history, incisive shit to say, especially about racial stuff. And like, I don't want to discount any of that, but like, can we not also allow it to be true that he is harmful and violent in other ways? Like, why is that not allowed to be talked about and critiqued and called out? I don't understand. And just like, I'm just so fucking tired of the same rhetoric over and I'm like, is it 2014? We're still fucking saying PC culture, like... Or cancel culture? The idea that like trans women speaking out against transphobia is PC culture. I'm like, I am the least politically correct person (laughs) you will ever meet. Like, if you're friends with me, you know that. I say some... (laughs) Out of pocket shit, and I've said I say out of pocket shit every week on this podcast. So like, so it's not that at all. It's not it's, about censorship. Yeah. It's about just like recognizing other human beings as fucking human beings. Done. Done. That's <laughs> all. Wait, do you mind um crediting the author since we read so much of that yeah, 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 word sure. for word? I know it's Fox News no, and we whatever, don't fuck yeah. with it, but hold on. Emma Colton of Fox News article was published yesterday october 12th word okay um also we got like some spam email about like wanting to help us with the podcast where somebody opened it with being like i've been binging your podcast and i love it but i do have to have i do have to say i have some notes you could really benefit from having like themed music oh my god and i was like so you have not been binging binging the podcast because that's kind of all this podcast is is little themed jingles um but yeah it's uh it's fine thanks for wanting to do business with us thanks for wanting to hit hit your what is it hit your wheel to this wagon or yeah (laughs) (laughs) because we're moving nowhere but up baby listener mistakes okay so um this week's listener mistake um comes from my friend they just dm'd this to me it's very short okay um okay it's just this message right here i just thought it's funny okay it says i made the mistake this week of letting my uh, $10 easy. Is that negative? My negative $10 easy pass balance turned into $200 worth of violations to be able to register my car. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Wanted to read that on the pod because I think that's incredibly relatable. relatable. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Turning $10 into $200, um, but in the negative. Yeah. Something that the besties have done have done and for we'll sure do and and we'll do again i know you're supposed to turn money into even more money i turn no money into even, even less, less money, money. <laughs> <laughs> Same. um 
Word. Okay. That that means it's time for my deep dive. Deep dive. Deep dive. It's so funny being under this fucking sheet. Oh my god. Okay. Um a few years ago. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. For those of you who don't know, um, I moved to New York City at the same time as Jabuki Young White, and we were both relatively unknown comedians. And by relatively, I mean completely unknown comedians when we first met. And um, I famously was the first person to book Jabuki on a comedy show. I <laughs> yes. started, I started a comedy show like the month I moved here, and I booked him on it. And um, yeah, now every time I see him, he's like, "You discovered me," like as a joke. Anyway, um, Jabuki, come on the pod. He probably would. He did my old he did my last podcast. Um Jabuki, come on the pod. But anyway, <laughs> lovely person, big fan. <laughs> Love you Jabuki. But um he's always been very lovely and very sweet and like as his career has taken off and as he's gained a lot of success, he's been like kind enough to like do my podcasts or come do a comedy show I'm running or um like offer me a spot when he can't do it. Um if like they're like can you help us book someone like he has gotten me booked on cool shows before. And one example of him trying to do this, um, he texted me one day in the middle of the afternoon when I should have very easily seen it um, saying he was headlining Caroline's that weekend. And he was like, do you want to come feature for me at Caroline's this weekend? And I was asleep. Oh, no. And I stayed asleep. Oh, no. Until, like, 9 p.m. that night. Like, oh. well after the first show started. Oh, gosh. Um, and luckily, George Severus got the spot and is, like, one of my good friends. And I'm very happy that, like, someone I really like got that opportunity. But it is, like, one of those opportunities that haunts me because, yeah. like... Opening for Jabuki Young White at Caroline's yeah. <laughs> could have been a real moment for me in my career. Um, ended up, you know, just being something that haunts me instead. Um, and now I just kind of live in this constant fear of like, need, like, I don't, it's not that this actually has haunted me to that big of an extent. Like, I know that my career is going to be fine no yeah. matter what. I'm funny and talented and um you know, the people love me. It's fine. But I am now someone who is a little bit obsessed with, like, not taking um, time away from my phone because I've had an experience of, like, that amounting to a huge missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, and when I first started comedy, someone else told me a story really similar where they were like, yeah, I, like – turned my phone off for a weekend for like a writer's retreat. And when I turned it back on, like somebody had offered me a, like a TV writing job that oh like, God. I like missed the opportunity for. And, uh, I was like, Oh my God, that sucks, but it'll never happen to me. Um, and yeah, it happened. I don't know if taking a nap is necessarily a mistake, but <laughs> it was that day. <laughs> oh, so that's my deep dive. All right. Um, it's going to be an app where I actually don't really know how that relates to the um, <laughs> mistake we're talking about this week, but we will circle back. Okay, great. And figure out a way. Best mistake. This week, we are talking about 
the discovery of LSD, a drug that so many of us love, a drug that I famously love and was Ugh, on all favorite. weekend. My favorite drug. My favorite drug. My uh, favorite drug. My favorite drug. Um, from the top, I'm going to give the, because um, I only used one source, and the article is called Apparently Useless, The Accidental Discovery of LSD by, uh, it's the article is by Tom Schroeder of The Atlantic. Um, the story of how a researcher started experimenting with LSD on himself after the pharmaceutical company that developed it dismissed it as being useless. So let me give some backstory. So in 1938, Albert Hoffman, who's a 32-year-old scientist, was in the process of trying to synthesize a chemical compound that would stimulate the respiratory and circulatory systems. He was working for a Swiss uh, chemical company called Sandoz in 1929 after graduating from the U University of Zurich. So we're kind of hopping around with times right now. So in 1917, a professor named Arthur Stoll, who also worked for Sandoz, isolated an active substance called, um, I don't know if I'm saying this right, aotamine, it's A-O-T-A-M-I-N-E, from ergot, E-R-G-O-T, lots of chemical compounds that I'll be talking about <laughs> that I'm probably not pronouncing correctly. But um, this is a fungus that's found in tainted rye um, that's also been used as a folk medicine, like, since the beginning of time, okay. essentially. I don't uh, think you need to pronounce it correctly. Yeah. Our, our besties are here for our chemistry, not yeah. for <laughs> chemistry. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it's going to be fine. So a little bit about uh, ergot, which is this fungus that's found in tainted rye. In its natural form and in quantity, ergot um, was a deadly poison that had been responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people over many centuries. Um, in the 800s, it caused a plague where people's limbs were swelling and then falling off before they eventually died in blistering. Um, historians, many historians also agree and attribute that long-term exposure to ergot um, because it's found in rye and poisons rye. Um, they believe, or, you know, one of the theories is that that is what led to the Salem witch trials, that the toxic effects of the ergot um, is what caused the witch trials to happen because um, basic, so convulsive uh, ergotism is characterized by nervous dysfunction where the victim is twisting and contorting their body in pain trembling and shaking, and rhinec, which is more or less fixed twisting of the neck, which <laughs> seems to simulate convulsions or fits. And in some cases, this is accompanied by muscle spasms, confusions, delusions, and hallucinations. And um, as I said, the consumption of tainted rye is linked to the years of abundant witchcraft accusations, both in Europe and in the Americas. Um, so, but in small doses, the muscle and blood vessel constricting properties of ergot could be useful to hasten childbirth and staunch bleeding after delivery. Um, Man, people in the olden times were obsessed with taking straight up poison and being like, maybe this will help <laughs> in like a little tiny bit. Uh, and we still do that with and Botox. And we still do that, yeah. Capabilities that um, had somehow been divined by alchemists and midwives and made use of for generations. Um so Arthur stole a little bit about him. He's remembered for isolating the compounds in ergot that caused the constrictions. And in its refined form, the compound could be dosed to avoid a host of side effects from other unhelpful compounds in ergot, properties that made Sandoz a lot of money and launched the pharmaceutical research and department that hired Hoffman to teach there 12 years later. Um, so within a few years, researchers had determined the chemical structure of the various biologically active compounds of ergot. Uh, and this chemical starting compound was called 
lysergic acid. So Hoffman developed a synthetic process to build the ergot compounds from their component chemicals. And using this method, he recreated ergot's active ingredients, as well as novel but similar compounds that based on the, that based on the potency of the ergot compounds could reasonably be expected to have medical uses. So in a sense, he was playing God, combining lysergic acid with various other organic molecules just to see what happened. A very kind of like fuck around and find out <laughs> mentality. I'm just thinking about like, this is what people did when they were bored. Yeah. So, <laughs> so my he, God, he goes on and he creates 24 of these lysergic acid combinations. And then he creates the 25th reacting lysergic acid with diethylamine, a derivative of ammonia. That compound was abbreviated as LSD-25 for the purposes of laboratory testing. So pretty quickly, though, his hopes were dashed when he can't come up with something that would simulate circulation and respiration. Because remember, that's all that he's trying to do at this point. Um, Though his research report noted in passing that the experimental animals used during testing became highly excited. The new substance, however, aroused no special interest in his team, and the testing was discontinued. But Hoffman continues his ergot research, and for years, he can't stop thinking about LSD-25. Same, bestie. (laughs) Hoffman had a feeling he couldn't shake the substance. He couldn't shake that the substance could possess properties other than those established in the first round of testing years earlier. So five years after lysergic acid diethylamide was tossed aside, Hoffman decided to follow his hunch, and he synthesized it again. He would later tell colleagues and friends, I did not choose LSD. LSD found and called me. Oh, my God. Literally Literally same. same. (laughs) You know how, like, you really love someone, and then you see a baby photo of them, and Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, my God. God, Mm -hmm. you were just like a little like a thing that didn't exist. And then you came into this world. And now you're this person I love so much. Uh That's how I feel about LSD right now hearing about this. Same. So on a very fateful day on Friday, April 16th, 1943. Okay, we need to throw a party on that day. Yes. Hoffman was in the final stage of synthesis of just a few centigrams of the material. The part where the LSD crystallized into a salt. Wait, does that mean that LSD is an Aries? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Could have told you that. Iconic. Um, <laughs> Iconic. So he's he's synthesizing this LSD into a crystallized salt when he suddenly feels strange to the point that he has to leave work and go home. When he returned to the lab the following Monday, he wrote a memo to his boss, Stoll, explaining what had happened, saying, I was forced to interrupt my work in the lab in the middle of the afternoon and proceed home, being affected by a remarkable restlessness combined with a slight dizziness. At home, I lay down and sank into a not unpleasant, intoxicated like condition, characterized by an extremely stimulated imagination. In a dreamlike state with eyes closed, I perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscopic play of colors. After recovering, he set about trying to figure out what it was that had affected him. Um, So in a 2006 New York Times interview, Hoffman said that he had first suspected that the fumes of a chloroform-like solvent he had been using had been the culprit. But when he intentionally breathed in those chloroform fumes to see if it was, nothing happened. It was only then that he was forced to the conclusion that he must have somehow ingested a trace of LSD. This then led led him to decide that there was only one course of action, (laughs) self-experimentation. 
Wow. This is my exact journey with LSD. So at 420. There's in only the- one logical explanation. Do more. Do more. <laughs> so at 420 in the afternoon on April 19th, 1943, uh, without informing anyone at Sandoz except his lab assistant, Hoffman dissolved 250 millionths of a gram of lysergic acid diethylamide tartrate and drank it. Um, he expected it to do absolutely nothing. So I don't know what measurements mean, but I did read in this article that that is like the most minuscule amount of LSD that a person can consume. Mm. Um, because Hoffman was Hoffman was afraid that what he was ingesting could kill him. So he was like, let me do the least amount possible and see what happens. So at this point, Hoffman believed that LSD was a deadly poison, which is why he started his tests with such a minuscule dose. His plan had been to increase the dosage by tiny increments until he got the first inkling of a reaction, and he expected it to make to take many dose increases before that happened. But just 40 minutes after the initial dose, he wrote the one and only entry in his lab journal, in quotes, 17 hours, beginning dizziness, feeling of anxiety, visual distortion, symptoms of paralysis, desire to laugh. Hoffman later said, I was able to write the last words only with great effort, and I had struggled to speak intelligibly. Same. Hoffman asked his lab assistant to escort him home, but because of wartime restrictions on automobile use, both of them had arrived to work on bikes. So Hoffman is tripping on acid, does not know what is going on, and has to bike home. Or as our very good friend Carrie would say, tripping on acid. Acid. So Hoffman (laughs) went on to recount this, saying, Everything in my field of vision wavered and was distorted as if seen in a curved mirror. I also had the sensation of being unable to move from the spot. Nevertheless, my assistant later told me that we had traveled very rapidly. Finally, we arrived at home safe and sound, and I was just barely capable of asking my companion to summon her family doctor and request milk from the neighbors because back then... If you were having like a weird reaction to a drug or a poison, they would always just give you milk because mm. there are properties in milk that will break it down. Mm-hmm. So for all Hoffman knew, the that drug... works with acid too, though, right? Yeah, yeah. acid um, and what some other drug that I've been told to use milk with before. I think ketamine, sugar no, and milk. Yeah, yeah, with ketamine, it's definitely sugar. Someone has given me milk before. <clears throat> Got it. And I don't really know why. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you need you need some calcium. <laughs> Unrelated to this K hole. Let's bulk up those bones. Um, so for all Hoffman knew, the drug he had ingested may have either permanently damaged his psyche or physically injured or, ki- or would then kill him. He would later recount that he realized how important his fearful mindset would be in shaping the nature of his acid experience. He goes on to describe in his memoir, um, the dizziness and sensation of fainting became so strong at times that I could no longer hold myself erect and had to lie down on a sofa. Everything in the room spun around, and the familiar objects and pieces of furniture assumed grotesque, threatening forms. Mm. They were in continuous motion, animated, as if driven by an inner restlessness. The lady next door, who who I had scarcely recognized, brought me milk. In the course of the evening, I drank more than two liters. She was no longer Mrs. R., but rather a malevolent, insidious witch with a colored mask. Every exertion of will, every attempt to put an end to the disintegration of the outer world and dissolution of my ego seemed to be a wasted effort. A demon had invaded me and had taken possession of my body, mind, and soul. I was seized by the dreadful fear of going insane. I was taken to another world, another place, another time. My body seemed to be without sensation, lifeless, strange. Was I dying? Hoffman wasn't dying, though. In fact, when the doctor arrived, all he detected were dilated pupils. 
Blood pressure, respiration, and pulse were all completely normal. No medications were required, and Hoffman was simply put to bed while the doctor waited by his side as Hoffman slowly came back to himself. Hoffman recounted the following events. The horror softened and gave way to a feeling of good fortune and gratitude. The more normal perceptions and thoughts returned, and I became more confident that the danger of insanity was conclusively past. Now, little by little, I could begin to enjoy the unprecedented colors and plays of shape that persisted behind my closed eyes. Kaleidoscopic, fantastic images surged in on me. I'm like, yeah, Bestie, coming up on acid is scary. <laughs> yeah, the invention of the first bad trip. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if only someone had ketamine to give him. Seriously. <laughs> Are there any horses around? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your milk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next morning, Hoffman wrote in his diary, everything glistened and sparkled in a fresh light. The world was as, was as if newly created. All my senses vibrated in a condition of highest of the highest sensitivity, which persisted for the entire day. Hoffman realized that he had made a remarkable discovery, and he began testing the drug on animals to determine if there were any toxic effects. The animal test also provided some curious results. Mice given LSD moved erratically and showed alterations in licking behavior. Cats' hair stood on end and they salivated, indications that they were having hallucinations that were either threatening or enticing. And when the mice were introduced in the, into the cat's cages, instead of attacking the mice, the cats would ignore the mice or sometimes even appear frightened by them. Dosed chimpan chimpanzees did not show any signs of being affected, but the non-dosed chimpanzees around them tended to become extremely upset, which Hoffman attributed to the test animal's failure to maintain social norm perceptible only to the chimps. Mm. Now that he was reassured that LSD wouldn't kill him or destroy his brain, it intensified his curiosity about his experience, and he began using LSD in more informal settings in the private company of friends to figure out how it worked. He realized that LSD had an enormous impact and said that some of his experiences left him feeling ecstatic with love and unity with all creatures in the universe. To have had such an experience of absolute beatitude means an enrichment of our life. He also learned that controlling for set and setting had its limits. In spite of a good mood at the beginning of a session, positive expectations, beautiful surroundings, and sympathetic company, I did once fall into a terrible depression. The unpredictability of the effects of acid is the major, or of LSD, is the major danger of LSD. And that is the story <clears throat> of the first acid trip and how a curious young scientist gave us the fucking best drug known to man. <laughs> By accident. By accident. Wait, didn't, didn't he have a death, like, related to LSD? No, that was, um, or it might have been, I didn't read that. It might have been him or it was someone else who did um, get dosed LSD as they were dying. Mm. Um, uh, we can look it up. Let's see. He died at 101. Okay. So, if, or, yeah. Yeah. He died in 2008 at from the a, age of 101 from a, from a heart attack. So for anyone who thinks that LSD is bad for you physically, um, yeah. simply not the case. Also really interesting. Like I was looking up this up last night when we got back from Atlanta because I didn't have a mistake prepared. And I also was really like, it was really interesting to read this and 
find out that he was looking to see if this compound had any respiratory um, or circulatory effects and then finding out that it doesn't because I did spend all weekend doing acid and like that's the first time since the hospital that I've done hard drugs with this like possible heart condition that I don't really know a ton about yet mm-hmm. um, and spent the whole weekend feeling great about it and being like yeah they're definitely and like our you know our friend who's a neurologist being like yeah I'm pretty sure there's no negative effect on your circulatory or like nervous system so like have fun bestie <laughs> and it's like literally it's been confirmed yeah so if you were seeing videos and stories of me this weekend absolutely tripping out of my goad <laughs> um and being like nika just got out of the hospital just know that i literally was doing nothing wrong yeah mm-hmm. mind your business mind your business <laughs> um go like do some lsd about it um because <laughs> it's the best drug famously in the world in the world um yeah, so grateful. So grateful to my my dude Albert. Yeah, more thank you. Story. Well, first of all, did you credit? I did. Wait, okay, great. I wasn't. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um. Moral of the story. Wait. Also, are we going to circle back to how this related to my? Oh deep yeah. Dive? So how do, how do you think this relates to your deep dive? I mean, that's not my job to figure out. Well, I don't really. I mean, I would. I guess that um, <laughs> you know, it just takes like one tiny mistake to either change or not change the course of your future and everyone else's life. Um, <laughs> yeah. And mine yeah. just like kept things at real normal. Um, I mean, maybe not because who knows if you had gotten that opportunity open to Caroline for Jupiter Young White, maybe you'd be a famous comedian right now and we would have never become friends. <laughs> Probably not because, you know, the other people that open for him are not currently famous comedians. Yeah, you never know. But you never know. It could have <laughs> really been the moment for me. And then I wouldn't be um, besties sure. with you talking to our besties Having this podcast, going to Atlanta Pride, doing Albert's LSD, um, and that should be your fairy name, Albert's LSD. Albert's LSD. <laughs> yeah, listeners, write into the pod. What do we think my fairy name should be? Some uh, some ideas so far. Um, Albert's LSD and white cheddar. White cheddar for for anyone interested. If we haven't talked about it yet, my fairy name is Teen Idol, so we need something that can go with that yeah because people refer to us as has as, as like the house of, of anya, anya and teen, teen idol. idol but we need like anya to also be a fairy name like yeah. anya and teen idol doesn't really roll off the tongue Moral of the story, I mean, fucking drugs are <laughs> drugs are good, drugs man. Drugs are good, dude. Dude, fuck <laughs> yeah. I fucking love drugs I is the like moral the of the story. moral of the story is that, like, it it just takes, like, one tiny, like, little mistake. Or, like, this wasn't even a mistake. The mistake was that he accidentally ingested the chemical compound and didn't mean to. Mm-hmm. But, like, it just takes, like, one tiny, like minuscule mistake to literally change the course of your life or the life of millions if not billions of people um for the better so it's like fucking up often leads to great great things that's my opinion yeah yeah i mean think about it if if he didn't do that, then we would not have the vast majority of music that we have. <laughs> yes. Uh... Pretty much all the music that we know and love is the direct result of LSD and or um, 
magic mushrooms. So many trans women would not be trans women if it were not for this man. <laughs> I know so many trans women who are like, yeah, I did a bunch of acid and then was like, oh, I'm not a boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, also moral of the story, I'm like, I don't think there's so much more to that story that you didn't get into. Like, there's so much about like how hard he worked to try to get it into yeah like the mainstream yeah and i know i wanted to keep it just to the origin story um so sorry everyone if you wanted more information about lsd itself yeah i just i don't even know all that much about it i just know that the person who discovered it which is apparently albert (laughs) um wanted it to be taken more seriously and like for like he's like i think this could literally change the world and it was like shut down and now it's to the point where the like it is one of the more dangerous drugs to be like caught with on your person and not to be like it's because they don't want our minds to expand but But that's literally literally why they just don't want us to know that like the fucking the reality they've constructed around us is not the only possible reality. I mean, they were literally, like, uh, he is the reason, I know this, he's the reason that they began using it for veterans with PTSD. And then they just, like, immediately shut down those experiments within a few years. And I'm like, hmm, what were those, like, fucking veterans saying in these, like, closed sessions? What were they realizing about these wars that they had, like, what danger to society, perceived danger to society, were they about to unleash for this, like, fucking war hawk nation that we live in because of acid. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, like, fucked up and sad that, um, <laughs> like, the powers that be yeah. uh, don't want the world to be better. Not that I think acid is the only path to the world being better, but I do no, think but... mind-opening psychedelics, um, if used with, like, intention and um safely and with large accessibility could literally change the world for the better um and if you're listening to this and you've never done lsd and it's something you're interested in doing i like do genuinely encourage you to do it it is a life-changing experience um and also makes you laugh real hard (laughs) yeah i love to laugh on that lsd um and yeah, it makes me, I have a life-changing epiphany every single time I do it. Same. So <laughs> thanks Same. Albert for the, Thank you. for being, for being a real one. But you know, speaking of drugs, test your drugs, test your drugs, test your holes, test your holes so that you can get eaten out um, at any given moment and or sucked on at any given moment. Like we do <laughs> and um, make us proud and kiss your motherfucking friends on the mouth do it like we do and do kiss your like friends on the mouth if anyone can tell you anything it's us after this weekend kiss your fucking friends, friends on, on the, the mouth, mouth. Uh, um write us your mistakes at best mistakes pod at gmail.com. gmail.com subscribe to the patreon we love you so much we love you